Okay. Welcome back to the XX Mormon podcast, everybody. We are delighted to have you here, uh, and we ask that the Spirit will uh, find its way into this into this meeting, into our hearts, uh, that we can be uplifted together uh, talking about a story, because today we have a guest, Brother Lehi. Welcome onto the podcast. Well, thank you, Elder. It's uh, it's a so delight Brother to have Lehi you. And oh, I... Go, go ahead, Bishop. You can, you, you oh, can take well, it from Brother, here, Bishop. Brother I understand you Lehi. have the keys. You can. Yep. Oh, sir. No, it's yours. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> so, Brother who Lehi... has, who's conducting? You forgot that part in the opening. <laughs> yes, the opening uh... <laughs> exercises. You didn't say who was conducting. I, As, Elder Jackson. You know what we decided to skip Bishop Rick meeting this morning, so we're a little. <laughs> we're very disorganized. Fair enough. Can you... Can can you turn the time over to me already? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. It's daylight savings has uh, okay. messed us messed us yeah. up. We're all a little bit confused. Um, yes, I with that. Uh, actually, before I turn the time over to you, Bishop, uh, I just wanted to say this might be important information. Kind of a bit of an announcement. Uh, the way that we're deciding to go ahead with this is we're going to release episodes when we have episodes to release. That's the 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 thing we're not going to do like a weekly consistent thing it's going to be largely you know if people come on or if we have something just we need to get out then uh then we'll do that but with that i'll turn the time over to you bishop pardon my insubordination uh please forgive me no pro so brother lehi is actually um brother lehi and i met when i was seven i think you were about eight um our dads were playing elders corn basketball and we were both hanging out at the church like on a Saturday morning. Um, yeah. So we go way, way back. Um, I have to give uh, Brother Lehi credit for uh, my meteoric rise and actually making it to the honor roll in high school. Um, funny story. Like, so I just didn't apply myself in school basically until grade the summer before grade 11. Uh, Brother Lehi and I were talking and I was in like all the the dumb classes instead of like the, the smart classes in high school. And, and brother Lehi was like talking to me and he's like, well, why do you think you can't get into like the higher level classes? I was like, I think I just don't do my homework. And he's like, well, I think you could just do your homework. If that's the only problem, like just do your homework and then you'll be fine. And then I, uh, I remember going into the guidance counselor's office start of grade 11 and said, Hey, I'm in all the sucky classes because I just don't apply myself. So if you just push me into the smart classes, I promise I'll do my homework every night. And then uh, as easy as that, I ended up on the honor roll uh, every semester after. What? <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so Brother Lehi has been a, a great and influential friend on uh, uh, for me for like almost 30 years now. Um, and I would say... Gosh, as, we're getting old. Yeah. Well, the other you thing, are. In 2018, I took a trip out to Alberta, um, and that was when I found out that uh, that Brother Lehi had chosen to leave the church. Um, and I'd say talking that I was on the fence, but talking to Brother Lehi and finding out that he'd left the church gave me confidence to leave the church as well. Um, so he's definitely been longtime, very influential friend of mine, and, and very very happy to have him on the show. Wow. wow, that's a thanks, man. Round of applause. <laughs> that was such a good introduction. I, uh, wow, that's intimidating. Um, 
no, I, you know, we were lucky enough to have a pretty awesome group of friends that we grew up with. And, and Bishop and I have talked about this a number of times, right? That if there's, if there's anything, you know, there's, there's, there's good things that we still glean from growing up in the church. And one of them is, is we have a really good group of friends. Um, and not one that I think you could replicate necessarily anywhere else in the church. Uh, <laughs> you know, whatever set of weird cosmic circumstances kind of brought us together, uh, they did. And, and it's pretty awesome. We, we've had a good supportive group of guys who've grown up together and gotten married together and had kids together and done all this stuff. And, you know, uh, definitely different directions, but man, it's, it's been an incredible support to, to me as an adult man. There's mm-hmm. a lot of adult males who don't make friends. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Well, do we want to get into your story a little bit? Are you born and raised in the church, Brother Lehi? With a name like Lehi, I would think yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the heritage goes back, right? <laughs> no, uh, yeah, no, I, I was I was born in, into the into the covenant. I uh, my my parents are both converts actually out east and uh and we moved here so like we didn't have a ton of family in alberta i've got i've got some family here but not a lot i wasn't one of those who came from a a long heritage of pioneer backgrounds or or any of that stuff uh i wasn't related to all the different cousins and (laughs) levitts and everyone else who's down here (laughs) yeah uh you know um but uh, but yeah, no, I I was born into the church. I grew up in the church, and I I would say that I am by by nature, and I always have been, uh, very much a people pleaser. I I like to make people happy around me, and uh, I like, you know, for for most of my life, and I probably I'm sure I still struggle with it immensely. Is you know, uh, not judging myself just just based on how everybody else sees me and, and that kind of thing. But as a, as a kid, that kind of behavior makes you kind of a model kid, right? You, mm-hmm. you get to do, you just kind of do whatever you're told. Um, and, and I did a lot of that. I, uh, I, I think I was a pretty, pretty straightforward kid. Um, I didn't, didn't question a whole lot. I, I wasn't one of the, one of the kids who, as they got into their teenage years, tried a lot of different things or pushed a lot of boundaries or, anything like that i i um got along really well with with leaders i got attention from adults that way you know which is always what you're looking for as a as a child mm-hmm. um and i i would say that when i first started to like push up against an existential wall sort of thing is is probably when i was probably was 15 or so hmm. um and and you start to push up against huh like you know they talk about this testimony thing and and you're still in your head it's you know santa claus is still real so you're pushing friggin' hard you're like mm-hmm. okay no i gotta gotta get a testimony i gotta read more i gotta pray more i gotta fast more i gotta do all these things that they tell me you know the, the primary answers i gotta do to get a testimony and uh and i push on that and i'd push on that and i'd push on that and um and wouldn't get what I was looking for and and I think suffered a lot of self-incrimination uh for that because I was like oh well I must it's because I'm doing this wrong or I'm doing that wrong or or this right and and you push on that you push on that and I told myself okay well by the time I go on a mission then I'll then I'll know 
then I'm going to know. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'd push and push and push and mission time came and I put in my papers and did all that. And I'm like, well, maybe, maybe when I go through the temple, I'm going to get it. I went through the temple. I'm like, well, yeah, I know that didn't help. And then I went (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, and then I went through, you know, my, my mission, I, I served, uh, I served in Geneva, Hmm. Switzerland and mostly Eastern France. And, um, the, the French, uh, have a very long history with religion, mm-hmm. um, which became a rather long history with atheism, uh, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is where they are now. They they're and they're they're pretty straightforward people. Like, you know, when when you talk to to someone in France, about, they'll they'll just tell you what they think. They're like, oh, you're, you're full of shit. Like, you, <laughs> yeah, it's great you think that, but you're you're out to lunch, man. Mm-hmm. And and you do that for two years, and so. I think two years of my mission was, was me kind of pushing still being like, okay, well, there's, if I keep studying, I keep looking, I keep reading, I'm going to, I'm going to get there. I'm going to have that experience. I'm going to have that epiphany. I'm going to have that, that feeling, right. Um, mission came, mission went. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, guess that's that you come home. It's like, well, I guess I, maybe when I get married, maybe when I have kids, maybe when I do. And eventually there's so many maybes that go by that you're like, okay, well, <laughs> Hmm. Am I, you know, things, things start to burn. You, uh, you, you start taking on more and more responsibility and leadership in the church. And like, even outside of the church, you know, you, you recognize as you grow up, you realize that adults are just a bunch of kids playing at being adults and and we're all just figuring it out. And, and as you realize that in the church as well, you're like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Wait, now Santa Claus isn't real. I got it. (laughs) Now I get it. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and, and those things go by and, and eventually I kind of got to the point where I was like, look, like, I think there's a lot of good rubber meets road teachings to be, to be gleaned from what's taught in the church. I think that there's, there's a lot of, uh, decent principles and whatnot, but the I, I recognized how that was divorced from the hierarchy, the, the architecture of doctrines, um, that had been built and that really took up way more of the time. I think, I think one of the things that really started to push home to me is I was like, how we were in a lesson on like service or charity. And I was like, man, if we spent half the time doing service that we did talking about service in elders quorum, mm-hmm. I'm like, we'd be so much further ahead. Yeah. <laughs> we'd be so much further. And I'm like, why are we talking about this again? Stop talking mm-hmm. about it. Go do it. You know? And, and I, that, that was, a big part of it for me is I just got to this point where I was like, okay, like great talk. I would do all this, but there's no substance behind what's being said. And, and then along with that, you get hit by the back door with, well, if you need to teach all these doctrines, it's because there's a bunch of these, there's a bunch of these unrealistic expectations and, and rules and regulations and ridiculous uh, ordinances and red tape and bureaucracy uh, that that comes with this edifice of religion that we've built, hmm. and uh, and none of it means anything. It's it's just it's just poisonous, and that was when I was like, okay, I think I'm I think I'm done. <laughs> like that was it. That's really interesting. So, like the, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Bishop. I the, don't mean to step on your toes again. So, <laughs> <laughs> the the existential wall you hit when you're 15. Like, can you elaborate? on that a little bit like what kind of things were you reading i know you've talked to me about this a bit just in our own kind of conversations or books you read 
there were there was a certain time where you kind of had a very strong hunch the Book of Mormon was all made up. Yeah, I well to be honest with you, it's as a teenager once I started making a like I, you start panicking. You're like, oh, I don't have this testimony thing they're all talking about. I got to push on this, and uh, and I start reading the Book of Mormon and and really studying it. It felt. I mean, it felt made up. Mm-hmm. It felt like reading a, a Greek myth yeah. or something like that. And, and then and I was like, huh, that's, well, okay, whatever. That's okay. We're, we're going to keep pushing through this. Uh, I think the big thing that started to diverge as a, as a teenager was that I recognized that, and I couldn't have put a label on it then. Like, I didn't have the, the, the philosophical tools to really describe this. Mm-hmm. But I started to recognize what essentially was you know, just cognitive divergence in that I recognized that I I saw and experienced and witnessed a certain reality, but I was being taught and working through and trying, like there was this whole other reality that was the things that are, you know, the doctrines of the church. And and those don't inter- overlap, actually. They, they There's a very, very small select few bridges um that actually bridged those realities and and i didn't realize that at the time i didn't realize what it was that was bothering me but that's what it was it was that i was like no this this isn't real the same way that a chair and a desk are real this is not like you know and and trying to grapple with tangible versus intangible concepts was a big part of it for me as a as a teenager um the big and a big thing for me as like I, I, I read a lot. I always, I always read a lot as a kid. Um, and there was, there was a few pieces of Western philosophy that I read that, you know, you start, I, I read Nietzsche for the first time as like a 16 year old. Hmm. And, and that kind of like, I didn't understand it. I was 16 years old, but, but it planted enough ideas, right. That I was like, huh, that's interesting. That's a different, like, I didn't understand the ideas, but I was like, okay, I see there's a divergent way of thinking here. Mm-hmm. compared to where what i've been shown and and i i read um yeah a lot of philosophy as a as a teenager i read a, a big one for me was siddhartha by herman hess um which is kind of a story of the enlightenment it's a fictional story narrative of the enlightenment of the buddha and and i remember grasping some concepts from that that i felt really strongly about and i was like huh that's that's different from what i'm being taught over here but this this seems to resonate with me and with what I think is right. And it seems grounded in something. And I, I, I appreciated that. And then as I, when I went on my mission and, and really hit the books extremely hard, when it's like, you can't read anything except scripture. So I, I learned to study in, in a lot of depth and detail. And one of the things that kept, the more I read the book of Mormon and the doctrine and covenants in particular, the more pieces jumped out at me as like well that's convenient mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, right like yeah. stuff i'd read where i was like well that that's obviously just ad hoc put in here because of what you were experiencing over like if you read it together with the doctrine and covenants you're like oh well so basically you had this problem over here so you developed a doctrine in the book of mormon to deal with it mm-hmm. okay yeah. that's that's interesting okay so when like when you experienced those things what did, did you park them on a shelf or did you how did you I, um, handle it? I would say that I, especially as a missionary, right? I, I kind of, 
because you can park it. Mm -hmm. Parking it would be like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to ignore that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't do well with, with ignoring things. Um, mm -hmm. it, it sits with me and gnaws at me way too much. I can't do it. So mm -hmm. instead what I would do is find ways. You, so instead, if you're not, if you're not just going to park it and ignore it, it means you have to, you have to justify it. You have to mm -hmm. rationalize it somehow in your head. And so I would come up with ways to rationalize pieces in there and be like, well, they were given that at that time because it was what was needed. And, and this was all foreordained. This was mm -hmm. all part of the plan. So that's, this is just, it's more of a testament of that God knew what was going to happen. And, uh, and that's how it goes. I mean, everything around the missing 116 pages of the Book of Mormon is like the most convenient story. Oh, that I yeah, <laughs> like I know. I yeah. know. It's so bad. Ooh. It's so bad. Did, yeah. did you feel like you were BSing yourself a little bit, like when you were doing that, or did oh, you fully buy in? Absolutely. No, I, I, I definitely felt like I was BSing myself. Yeah. But there's what you're. There's there's such a culture of fake it till you make it in the church. Oh yeah. Um, bear, you know, the, the testimonies the found in the bearing of it kind of thing. Oh, that, and that I, if you wanted to pick a doctrine that mm -hmm. kept me up at night more than any other, it was that one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was that one because I mean, you go on a mission, mm -hmm. you spend all day <laughs> telling people things. Every time I tell people things I can feel inside, I'm like, eh, that's not a piece that I Nope. Nope. I, I don't know how I feel about that, but <laughs> I, I am a strong enough, uh, uh, public speaker and I, I, I use rhetoric fairly well to my advantage and I would just talk circles around people on my mission. And so I was like, Oh, well that's, it's true. Cause <laughs> I, I, I can still I, come up with. <laughs> yeah. I confounded this guy on the street. So I must be, God yeah. must be right. talking to me. Right. I yeah. left him speechless sitting <laughs> yeah. there like, okay, I like, there's nothing to say to you, man. Look, I won. Did you see that? And then it's like, it's, it's like one thing that I found being on the other side is that you hit such a brick wall talking to believers that you stop talking because you're like this. I, I'm talking to somebody who's brainwashed. I can't mm -hmm. convince them. And then I'm like, oh, when I stop talking, they're probably thinking they confounded me just like I thought I confounded somebody. Yeah. But really, yeah. They just cannot they just give up. talking you anymore. Just, yeah. 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 I, yeah. The, the other thing that I was very, very cognizant of, I think at a, at a fairly young age by 16, 17 is I basically referred to all things that were in that alternate reality, everything that is, you know, the existence of God and the soul and the afterlife and all these pieces that are totally intangible. I referred to them as the dark room problem. And, and I said, look, if, if you just walk into a dark room, pitch black, can't feel anything you can't touch anything you can't see anything like you can't draw any conclusions mm -hmm. there's there's nothing there's no data in there's no conclusions to be drawn and so it's a realm of faith hmm. and 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 i just said okay so that's that's how i treated everything with in that alternate reality as i went forward with my mission and that kind of stuff is i i just said okay it's it's a question of faith it's a question of yeah no i i have no evidence i have no reason to think this is true but it's it's about what you choose to believe is in that dark room yeah. um and and i kind of worked with that for for a while and i i still think fundamentally that's true um but the the important th 
thing that changed in my life is that, yeah, okay, but shouldn't you choose the thing to believe in the thing in the dark room that you feel good about, hmm. you know, choose, choose the thing that seems to at least align with what you're seeing and with what the, the fruits of the, of the, of the works are and, and, you know, not just choose to believe the thing that they told you is in the dark room. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I think that's, that's a big thing that, that changed later on. It's just what I, I, I don't attribute nearly as much importance and consequences to what's in the dark room. Hmm. Yeah. So can you just, so can you elaborate on that a bit more? Yeah. I mean, so for instance, if you choose to believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet and that God exists and calls prophets and speaks to them and they tell you what to do, um, then by necessity, it means you're going to try and follow all the commandments that God's give that prophets give you, right? Mm-hmm. That has real, concrete, palpable consequences. Those are the, the those those are things I can grab and I can see and I can feel and I can touch and I I know are real and they're in my real world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if the consequences, if the if the way that's playing out, if those concrete pieces aren't making sense, then I'm by necessity, I should go back and change what I think I see in the dark room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I know right? what you mean. So it's when it has these real world consequences. So if you were, you know, if you believed that there was something in the dark room that, you know, there was a bomb in the dark room and that you had to clap every five seconds in order to keep that bomb from going off, that even though that is, you know, you're just making that assumption, you're, you're believing this, uh, but you can't confirm it, that has real-world implications that uh, might not be great for your, your yeah. life. So it sounds like, okay, cool, you believe this thing. Lots of people believe a lot of different things. But the problem was the way that this was affecting you in the real world is that right and everyone and everyone and and then and then the the other half of it so there's the things that have consequences in the real world and some of those consequences are positive right i Mm -hmm. like i say i i am an advocate of the fact that there are good things that come out of the church it's not all evil terrible hellfire and damnation that comes out of it there are Mm -hmm. good things that come out of it there's just also bad things that come out of it and i'm not going to what I kind of, the point that I came to is I'm like, okay, first of all, I'm not going to rationalize the bad things to myself anymore. Mm-hmm. They're bad things are bad things. And I'm not going to pretend that they're not there and that they're not attributable to this black room problem. The other thing is that there's a really the, that, like I said, there's only a select few bridges that actually bridge that alternate reality with real world. And those are the places that you can see that. But most of the dialogue in the church, most of which taught, pertains to what's in the alternate reality um, and actually has no real world application or consequence. Like there's so much in there that is just empty, empty rules and Mm -hmm. empty space that doesn't actually mean anything. And that actually, it really all it's there for is to, to shift your paradigms that you, stick with the narrative so that you stick with like the, it's all the pieces that they had to put together in the story so that it made sense that somebody would actually believe it and and follow through on the the handful of things right like most of what's in the doctrine and covenants isn't 
or in the book, book of Mormon isn't directly applicable. It's, it's just, it's narrative. It's this, this giant castle in the sky mm-hmm. that they've erected. And, um, and what we kind of start to see is that there's only a handful of places where it bridges over into reality. And in a lot of cases, those, that story, that narrative that gets built up, is just used to, to do things that are, well, not so great. Yeah. It kind of sounds like what you would were... be one of those like oh, bri- go, bridges go with reality. Sorry, just wondering, Brother Lehi, what would you call one of those bridges with reality between like the dark room or doctrine in in real life? Sure. I mean, the rubber meets road stuff is is what I call. It's it's anywhere where you finally take all this doctrine about oh well, there's you know there's three kingdoms of glory and within the kingdoms of glory there's these other kingdoms of glory and there's all these, all that stuff like at the end of the day it doesn't matter you could just call it heaven and hell it has the same consequences mm-hmm. but right. what matters rubber meets road is okay uh you know you got to pay tithing you okay. have to live the law of chastity you have to live the law of uh the word of wisdom mm-hmm. um you have to uh you know go through priesthood interviews ordinances in general are a great example of those bridges because ordinances were places where you take the intangible Mm -hmm. and chain someone down with the narrative right that's where you that's 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 where you lock them in gotcha so is on those ordinances maybe maybe it's more like the chains of reality Instead, because the the bridge bridge building, I was just thinking like <laughs> it's too positive. You're making you're making these connect. I was like, oh, is he making connections between like historicity and the Book of Mormon? Like, is is he? Are you talking about apologetic? This is how we make the church narrative rhyme with reality. But you're talking about like you can teach whatever you want, but when you're going to make people do things, that's where you're bridging the bizarre with reality, and that's yeah, not, not good. Well, it's. And, and you could you could use it for anything, right? You could use theoretical physics and say, okay, mm-hmm. well, we have these models of electrons and of protons and all sorts of subatomic particles that we have these mathematical models that describe what they are and how they work. And and there's, I mean, you can devote a lifetime to learning the doctrines of how subatomic particles behave. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, they are uh, intangible, to some degree, uh, story. Of mm-hmm. this is how stuff we can't actually see, taste, or touch behaves. Right. And the right. only way, the only place where it matters, the only place where science cares about it is when the consequences of that narrative actually are observable and have an impact on your day-to-day world. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's what I'm talking about when I say the alternate reality and real reality, like the, the intangible and tangible realities, mm-hmm. is that there is a very huge body of, of knowledge and doctrine in the church that is smoke and mirrors, that is just a narrative. Mm-hmm. And then there's a handful of places where it actually impacts, where it has dramatic impact. Right, mm-hmm. right, and, right. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. So okay. so things, yeah. things that are actually commandments that actually change your behaviors, that actually affect how you go out and do things, you know, it's, we can tell the stories of how Jesus was charitable and how he was this and how he's that and how it's good for you to do service. But that versus going out and doing service, going out and actually changing people's lives, going out and, you know, being a responsible, upstanding member of society, quote unquote, you know, Mm -hmm. um, those are very different realities. Yeah. 
Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. So I I get it. I don't know if if, if Bishop gets it. <laughs> um, but sorry, uh, I, I'm got, taking no, this in a serious theoretical direction. Hey, I didn't I didn't mean to no go that no way, but that's uh, no, no that's, that's the whole rabbit hole we went down. So, sorry. No, it's good. So the so just in summary for the doughheads who might be as lost as I am, we've got the black room, and the black room's got all the teachings of the church, right? It's and got then, what I call the the doctrines. So the not doctrines. the things that, as opposed to the commandments, the doctrines are things that don't have direct impact. They're just okay. part of the story. Okay. So the, okay. So the black room's full of the doctrine and it's just kind of this unknowable story that you've been told. And then the, the connection to the real world is when the black room tells you what you have to do when you're outside the black room. And that's the, commandments it's when you make decisions right based on something that you have no evidence of which, right. which is what we call faith right it's all it's yeah, this yeah. whole faith faith problem and 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 what i i think eventually came to is mm -hmm. that uh faith isn't what they say it is faith faith should be in things that you that you do feel strongly about not just what people tell you you should feel strongly about hmm. yeah it should line up with your reality and so then when you're in the black room, like, do you have this moment where it's kind of like the doctrine tells you there's a massive ball in the middle of the black room and then you reach out to feel it and you're like, I'm pretty sure this is a cube or hmm. tetrahedron. And they're like, no, it's a ball. And you're like, there's no, a lot this of is a, This is a duodecahedron or whatever. Like, this is a very complex shape. They're like, no, no, it is a sphere. And it's like, uh, come here and feel it with me. No, you heretic. I will not touch the sphere, the great yeah. unknowable sphere in the middle of the room. And you're like, no, I'm touching it. And it's not what you're telling me. It's it not what you're telling me. It is. And mm -hmm. that's, ex that's a great description of exactly what I went through in my, in my twenties. Right. I would say, well, in my teenage years, but especially into my twenties where I was like this in my teenage years, it was that, Hey, I'm not feeling what you think I, what you say I should be feeling here. Yeah. And right. in, in my adult years, it's that, Hey, I'm finding edges to this thing that I don't like and that don't make sense and that you didn't right. tell me about and that, you know, you have, you start to discover all these pieces, right. As you, as you kind of open yourself and, and, and start looking for things that have connections to the real world, instead of spending so much time talking, like rereading the Joseph Smith account of the first vision for the 5 billionth time, <laughs> maybe I go and yeah. find out about other accounts of the first vision mm -hmm. and I go yeah. and find out about, you know, other things that were going on at the time and other and you start to look and you're like, oh, okay. Like like the the church kind of gives you one narrative and pounds that narrative into your head mm -hmm. every, you know, six months from the age yep. of five till twenty-five or forever, really. You just reiterate the same story again and again, right? Like one thing I remember about spending time with you on like young men's camps or whatever, going on these hikes and stuff, is yeah, like you were the the type of person who would read Nietzsche at 16 <laughs> always like what and and so we'd talk about things and you would have kind of this you'd go through this deep philosophical reasoning and you'd you'd explain these things and it it didn't like contradict the narrative but it definitely didn't always go with the narrative mm -hmm. and i'd say that when the church is beating in the same narrative all the time you miss out on these armchair philosophers who can add some value and depth into understanding the theology. Um, 
but instead they just want to keep pounding like a square peg into a round hole. Like, did you feel yeah. like that? Because oh, absolutely, like I, you have to shave the edges off of everything where where it yeah. starts to contradict with stuff you've been taught. You're like, okay, well, let's just cut that piece off of the philosophy. <laughs> and, like, did you? And, but did you? Did you kind of feel like a square peg in a round hole when you're trying to? Because I can see, like, you were you have always just been well read and a thinker, and you you have ideas and you can articulate your ideas, and you say things. It's not like it's necessarily contrary to the church. It's just a different way of coming to maybe the same conclusion. Did you ever try voicing those in like a more formal way? And did you kind of get beaten to submission or, or how did that go for you? And kind of like a uh, seminary Sunday school kind of way. I, um, well, I think my, my need to be accepted and respected by others drove right. me away from that. I, I, I was very aware of where the edges of what I should say and shouldn't say in Sunday oh, okay. school were. Right. And, and I, I knew which answers to give so that the, teacher patted me on the head and said, Oh, good boy. And that's right. what I gave. <laughs> like, that's right. what I gave. And then as I got older, I think what I would do is, you know, I came up with more sophisticated ways to describe the answers that the same primary answers. Mm -hmm. um, and just like I say, kind of procrustean bed chopped off the pieces, like lopped off whatever didn't fit it and just mm -hmm. kind of like made it, made it. I'm like, oh, okay. So that's, that's why that works is because of this. And kind of ignored the fact that I had to, <laughs> you know <laughs> lop the arms off of this thing in order for to make it fit right. um there but that I, I came up with more and more sophisticated ways to describe it and why it would work and um and yeah i i i think that i i never voiced really contrary opinions and, and even into my adult years um i i would not and i'm still not like if, if if I was sitting in an elders quorum meeting today and they taught something that I don't agree with, like if they ask my opinion, I'll be like, no, I, I that doesn't work for me, guys. Like, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm not mm -hmm. the type who's going to stand up and say, no, you guys are all full of shit. Here's how mm -hmm. it really is. Like, that's, I, I, my, my perspective is, um, I, I've had a lot of long conversations with a lot of people in the church about try as I've kind of tried to make sense of all this as an adult and and really what I came down to is I was like look there are experiences and pieces of all this that are like people have intertwined this and enmeshed it so heavily into their lives and it's become sacred to them you know and there's nothing positive to be gained by my taking their sacred experiences and deconstructing them and throwing them under the bus. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, it's the, I, I'm not, I'm not being a force for good in the world if mm -hmm. that's what I go about doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so my perspective on it is I'm like, look at the end of the day, you just stick with the, if, if you just stick with the whole piece of like, you know, be kind to each other, love one another. And you do that stuff. You can have all the, ordinances and priesthoods and all the mumbo jumbo like you can make a high priesthood out of this thing and do whatever you want but at the end of the day to the degree that you follow that and you're kind to other people and you're serving other people and you're you're doing good in this world then then i can get behind you and i support you in that hmm. and that's that's all i do and then the the rest of it i just ignore mm -hmm. right i'm just like yeah, that's it's doesn't make sense to me hmm. um 
Yeah. Yeah. I, okay, so we got off on a little bit of a tangent. Oh, you've got something there. Yeah, yeah. You I may have, speak. I, I have okay. a thank you. Thank you, Bishop. Uh, thank you, Senpai. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> um, it sounds like it sounds like you started this kind of deconstruction process for yourself, like really, really early on. Like I, I it sounds like you started having doubts and these questions really early on. So at what point throughout your story do you think you would have considered yourself Pimo? Like you're just kind of doing it. You don't really buy it anymore. You know, you're definitely sure that sphere is a square and and you're kind of moving in that direction, but you're still in. Yeah, I would say it's um, I, it's probably around the time that my first son was born hmm. was probably it where I was like, no, like this is, I was getting pretty lukewarm. I say the whole coming home from my mission and becoming an adult in the eyes of the church, you know, um, that was the the gradual descent from there. Hmm. But where I really, I remember I, I had my first son, uh, I was in my last year of school and I was in the middle of capstone project for, for engineers. And I was, my, my son was born on like the seventh day of the, of the semester in January. <laughs> and it was just like, it was total mayhem. And, um, and I remember having the thought, like once, once I was responsible for this child, um, I remember having the thought riding the bus to school one day or something like that. Like, look, um, this is my life. This is, this is, this is my life. And, my son and my wife and nobody else is going to take care of them. Hmm. Nobody else. It's not the world's responsibility to make sure that they, that they get what they need and that I get what I need and that we, we survive in this world. Um, it's, it's up to us. It's up to me. Hmm. And, and I think there was just a sense of ownership from, from that kind of point on that I assumed of my own life where I it, up until that point, I think I just felt like my life had belonged to someone else for so long. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and for better or for worse, I think we all do that because we want to, on the one hand, absolve ourselves of a certain level of responsibility. It's, it's much easier to pretend that like, Oh, well, my life is, I mean, I'm spending this in the service of God. So I just do whatever God tells me to do. And then I don't have to worry about what's right or wrong or this or that, or I, I don't worry about any of that because I just, do what I'm told. Hmm. And that's, there's something comforting about that because you always feel like somebody else is out there. Who's going to take care of you. Somebody else is always out there. Who's going to make it right. Who's going to give you comfort. Who's going to take, but that was kind of when I realized I'm like, no, this is, this is my life Hmm. and this is my family. And if I don't do something about this and if I don't take control of it, nobody else will. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. It's kind of just, uh, taking responsibility um, over yourself, your life, so, your actions, like that, your family. How did, I like that. How did that cascade into an exit from the church? Um, when we moved out west, when we moved out to to Vancouver to Surrey, we uh, I would say that. Well, actually, before we left, there were a handful of things that happened. I remember one time sitting in a meeting where they were talking about doubts 
right? The, the whole idea of testimony and faith has always been a central problem for me. And they're talking about doubts and what you do when you have doubts, right? And, and somebody I remember stood up in the meeting and said, well, whenever I have doubts, I just ignore them because <laughs> I would rather, you know, you get the whole, like, I, you know, you have to have question your your faith you know question your doubts not your faith that kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah that one. but he just said he's like if it takes me away basically his idea was if it takes me away from from the church if it pulls me away from the doctrine then i i just leave it alone i don't want to touch it i don't want him and i remember that that something broke inside of me when i heard that because i realized i was like that is wrong mm-hmm. that's not just like that's not like, hey, that's a difference of opinion. That's nice that you think that. That's a, I'm like, no, that, that is one of those things that inside of me I could feel. I was like, that is wrong. It is evil. And that was that's a, that's a very strong point for me where I was like, no, okay, something is wrong here. Mm-hmm. That somebody's comfortable doing this, standing up and saying that, and there's all these people nodding in this room. Uh, I was like, no, no, no. That, that's that's not right. And I had a handful of those moments. So I was already pretty broken, I'd say, as far as testimony goes when I came out West. And then uh, and then I got called into, like I was called as an Elders Quorum president. And I was very honest with, with the bishop who called me. I was like, look, this is where I'm at. Like, I don't think I'm the right man for the job <laughs> based on where this is. And, uh, and he basically was like, no, 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 you know, like just... He even got to the point where, you, like I said, look, I have problems with this doctrine, this doctrine, this commandment, this piece, this, like all these things. And he said, just don't teach those. Teach, teach the stuff you do feel good about. And I was like, okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so like I was this, you know, broken testimony member running the elders quorum. <laughs> and, and the reality is it, at that point I realized, I was like, there's just, after serving in ward councils, serving in that, uh, and then when I came back to Edmonton, like that really burnt me out. I was mm-hmm. like, this, this is such a farce. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. And I came when we came back, uh, back to Edmonton. Um, I was working as the stake financial clerk and seeing where money went in the stake, mm-hmm. and I just had this epitome where I was like, man, like you learn things about the widow's might and how things are mm-hmm. used and stuff like that. And I'm like, we just spent how many thousands of dollars on like elders quorum pizza and stuff. I'm like, this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. This is bullshit. Like if there really are widows out there and poor, and I know there are, I know there's poor people paying their tithing ahead of rent. There's poor mm-hmm. people paying their tithing ahead of getting like feeding their children properly or, or doing those things. And it's so that you can freaking have, like Elder's corn pizza or some mm-hmm. other stupid I'm like, no. Well like like no. in a lot of like we were those I was. I remember paying I was so poor when I was a CPA student that I basically had to pay tithing out of a line of credit. <laughs> because yeah. because my paycheck couldn't cover my basic expenses. And and so I would just I had a checkbook for a line of credit and I would just cut the the tithing check out of that account because I knew that was the only way it wouldn't bounce. And then I would try and make it if I could if I could pay back that bit on the line of credit, great. If I couldn't, then <laughs> I guess yeah. I didn't. Um, so we like we were those poor people paying tithing ahead of our basic needs, right? We we lived it. Yeah. 
and, and see, I'd say that from the day that I had my first kid, yeah, I never again paid tithing if it was going to take away from our family. Hmm. That was the end of, of tithing paying for me is as soon as I had wow. my first kid. I said, no, wow. like it, it doesn't make any sense to me that I'm, that I'm paying tithing instead of if it's going to impact my wife and my child. Yeah. Nope. Mm-hmm. nope. Wow. That's awesome. Well, that is really awesome. Yeah, that is great. And then you move so that, out like, to BC and then, mm-hmm. and then how, how does that unfold from there? Can I, can I tell yeah. a funny story about when you're out in BC and I yeah. talking to you about the church? I think I was telling, cause I was still around the time that you were out in BC, I was still pretty active. And I think I remember telling you something you'd done or said that had really built or strengthened my testimony or something <laughs> like that. And I remember you looking at me and just being like, it's funny you say that because I don't really have a testimony anymore. <laughs> or like something along those lines. And I was like, and, and it was just after you were telling me that you got called into the elders corn presidency or that you were serving as the elders corn president. And then I told you something you'd done that had been spiritually significant for me. And then you're like, I don't have a, really have a testimony, Andrew, or I've been struggling or something. And I'm like, but you're the elders corn president. And well, like, okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> yeah. Those are those are yeah. the best moments. Yeah, no. You have such a great light in your in your eyes. It's like, yep. Mm-hmm. I, I, what, and what I try and tell people, I here here's the hard part, and and I don't know if you want to cover this another time, but I, I, I still. I would still consider myself a very spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very much so. And, and I have, I write and read and search just as much or more so than I ever did before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's real for me mm-hmm. instead of, instead of just trying to inculcate myself with, with whatever somebody tells me, I'm like, no, I'm, I want to look for things that are meaningful to me. And I have to find an answer in all of this that, that makes sense to me mm-hmm. and that, that resonates with who I am and with what my values are. And, um, and that, that ultimately was, was kind of, so yeah, like if I went on with the stories, like I said, we went out to Vancouver. Uh, I had responsibilities that far exceeded my testimony. Um, and I was being expected to, you know, teach and run things and try and motivate people when I was like, guys, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> Like I'm kind of here for the same reason you are. That is what it is. Um, and so I was pretty much on my last legs by the time we came back here. We we moved mm-hmm. back to Edmonton, and uh, and I got called as a stake finance clerk, and just started to see that I'm like this is it's all just it's it's a circus it's a farce, mm-hmm. and What's... and there's there's a there's a handful of good things, but there's so much so much waste and. And so much talking about this, you know, alternate reality heaven type stuff mm-hmm. without actually helping people. And at the bo- the, at the end of the day, I was like, if, if you're not the, the, the good that the church is to me, I can measure the good of the church by what it actually does to physically help people. And, and I wasn't seeing that materialize. Right. And that Where... was. Oh, sorry. Didn't mean it. No, no, no. I that was it for me was, was pretty much when we got into that at like at this point in time so we're talking about 2015 2016 right so 2017 20, 
2018 2018 is when we moved back to Edmonton right uh, that, 20, 2015 is when we moved out to Surrey so when like at this point in time while you're losing your test when you're burning yourself out how much does your wife know about where you're at and were you were you how long were you probably living a double life uh i would say like three like there were things that i'd say to her mm-hmm. and i would voice like huh i don't know about this or that piece or whatever um when we got married my my wife was certainly under the impression that i was about as straight and narrow as, as i could be yeah. as i think most people still were at that yeah. point yeah um we had been married for seven years when we moved to Surrey. Mm-hmm. And I'd say in Surrey is where like I started to break down pretty heavily in terms mm-hmm. of like, this isn't adding up. Like <laughs> this isn't working. This is, something's not working here for me. And, uh, and, and so I, that's when she started to get like, cause I was probably like the same time I was telling you, right? Like, Hey, I don't know if I have a testimony anymore. Like by then I obviously voiced the same things to my wife. Yeah. And, uh, and she had, she knew what was going on. And then as, when we got back to Edmonton, it was just more like, I would say we were pretty much in lockstep. There was, we had a conversation at some point once we came back to Edmonton in -hmm. like 2018, 2019, where I basically told her, I was like, Hey, look, um, I, I don't, here's the things I do believe. Here's the things I don't believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and my perspective on this with her is I said, look, I am willing to support you in, in what you feel strongly about. Uh, I still feel that there is value to having the children, to having my boys attend church and, and learn some of this basic framework of morals and, and how to get along with people and how to, sit in a chair for more than five minutes at a time. Uh, like, I think there are some benefits here. So I'm, I'm willing for the time being to, to keep, like, I'll get up, I'll help you get the kids to church and we'll, we'll do our thing. But from a testimony perspective, yeah, no, this is where I'm at. I'm not attending a temple anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. And she, she really appreciated that conversation. She was very, cause she, I think there had been so much time where she could see mm-hmm. that, cognitive dissonance in me and Mm -hmm. what it was causing and and the anxiety like i part of what i told her in that conversation is i said i honestly on saturday night before church i have a pit in my stomach thinking about going to church makes me sick Mm -hmm. like i feel anxious i feel bad i feel terrible and 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 so she knew that before this conversation she had seen this in me and, and so by the time we had this conversation, I think it just helped really bring us in lockstep in terms mm-hmm. of like, okay, we understand what your thoughts are. We understand what my thoughts are. And practically we know how this is going to continue on the day to day to unfold. And really since then, I'd say we, she's been a hundred percent on, like she knows where I'm at very regularly mm-hmm. since that conversation. But from like, we got married in 2009. So from 2009 to 2000 you know, 18, I would say there was a lot of limbo there where I was still trying to admit to myself what my feelings mm-hmm. were and trying to come to terms with what I thought was a lie and what wasn't myself. And so I probably wasn't voicing those as, as readily as I, as I should have or could have to my wife during that period. And then like when she found out, was there kind of like a, 
I don't know, a mourning period or something like that, that she went through where it's like, I'm marrying this straight as an arrow, elders corn president kind of guy. <laughs> and now he's telling now me he doesn't, now he doesn't tell, now he tells me he doesn't actually believe in the whole eternal family thing. And maybe my marriage is built on a lie or I like, you know, um, to her credit, no. Yeah. There, there wasn't a lot of that. Um, I think that where there were probably the moments where there's the most tension is mm-hmm. whenever I do, if I do things and bring them in, and bring it to the, into the house and in front of the family that she's like, Oh, I don't know if I approve of that. Right. Like I remember the first time I like was drinking coffee at the table or something like that. The first time she was like, Oh yeah, that's okay. That's a thing now. And it's, you know, and I, I give her credit. Yeah. Like that's, she had to process that she had to, to like, okay, right. I guess that's, that's a thing. Like, you know, or the first time I like had a beer with dinner in front of the kids and she's like, okay, like I could see her eye it and think about it. Right. <laughs> and, and, but no, um, no, she's, she, I think she's processed that extremely well. Yeah. Extremely she didn't throw a Keurig well. in the snowbank. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, she, uh, so she hasn't done that. She hasn't she, drained, she hasn't <laughs> taken beers out of the fridge and drained them down the sink yet on me or anything like she's that. She's handled it better than I did. So <laughs> way to, way to go. Well, and, and, I think it needs to be said like two things that I think worked really well there is, um, you know, a lot of people talk about how, especially in the church, right? They're like, well, my marriage is, you know, both of us are striving to be like God, you get the triangle diagram on the, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's what brings us together. And Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think that, I don't think that religion ever played the pivotal foundational part of our relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, probably more to her credit than mine hmm. uh because I, I don't know if you know my wife but my wife is a fairly uh irreverent uh individual hmm. who doesn't have trouble saying things how how they are mm-hmm. and um and and probably holds some views and some practices that many in the church uh would judge her strongly for <laughs> people probably thought uh, she was and, more and likely always... to leave than they oh Ask Andrew, like if when I was dating Julie, yeah, if you had to pick between the two of us, who was going to be inactive in ten years? It, for sure, not <laughs> you, right? Like she, <laughs> but like at the same, I don't, I, you're Julie's unconventional. Uh, sorry, sister okay. brother Lehi is uh, <laughs> sister Lehi. She is definitely unconventional, but I'd say that on the other hand, she's always somebody who I found to be. Uh, incredibly honest and and sincere, right? On the other yeah. hand, um, so I, yeah, I guess just from her being a little unconventional, your your TBM Mormon would say for sure, Julie. I'd say knowing both of you on a personal level, I I she didn't strike me as the type of person who is at church because her parents told her to be there. She was there because no. that's where she wanted to be, because hmm. she's yeah, she's very genuine kind of honest person yeah. so i figured like if she is at church she's there because she wanted to be there not because it, and and so knowing you guys i'd say i'd, I'd be at that point in time i would have been surprised if either of you ended up in fair enough. but, but fair enough. i could i could say like tbm mormons for sure would judge you guys and say jordan peter priesthood is marrying not so molly mormon like 
I'll be surprised. Oh, if, I mean, you whatever, should, you should, right? you, Julie and I have endless, sorry, I keep saying your name. It's out now. Uh, sister, brother, Lehigh. Sister, sister, brother, Lehigh, and I have endless jokes and conversations because, you know, like she serves in young women's. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those of you who don't know, my wife, my wife sells, you know, sex toys basically as a, as a side business. As a hobby. So, as a hobby. So we, we have. It's awesome. <laughs> it's. It, it, so we have some really hilarious conversations about like, can you imagine if the young women found the stash or something? Right, right, right. <laughs> like, you're like, oh my gosh, there's so many parents who would be down our throats so quickly. Oh, <laughs> or yeah. like when we have like young women babysit at where our house, we're like, they better like, cause my wife was one when she used to babysit to like snoop in drawers and check things out, and look around <laughs> people's houses when she was a little kid. I was like, well, man. Let's hope your young women don't do that because they're going to get some surprises. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like as an aside, I remember doing this moving trip as a young man. Like we we're helping a family move out, and for some stupid reason, they let the young men move their night table, <laughs> both of their night tables, right? <laughs> and a drawer like pops open, quote unquote, pops open, and there's like a you know an instruction manual and lube and like a dildo or something like or vibrator yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. And all the young men cannot stop giggling and talking about it. And I'm like, who in their right mind lets teenage Maybe. boys move anything in their bedroom, especially the night table? My <laughs> wife would. Yeah. Just to watch and laugh. Well, <laughs> Literally, she right. would do it just, just to be like, well, maybe they'll learn something You're right, right. about privacy. <laughs> Yeah. yeah no no not about privacy uh, uh, she's like oh, maybe they'll learn a thing or two oh, that will serve them one day well, right 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 <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's, awesome. that's a whole rabbit hole the point okay the point of the discussion was to help you understand um we have a high I, I wouldn't say that our marriage was ever really built foundationally on like well it's because we're both so devoted to christ and mm-hmm. this is how it is we're i think our, our 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 marriage from a very early time was built on an understanding of like a high degree of communication, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. flexibility, and, and a big part of it, like, and we've always said this to each other, it's about understanding that we are on the same team. Right. So even if we're playing different positions, even if there's different things we're doing here, you know that I have your back and you have mm-hmm. mine. Right. And, right. Um, you... and so because of that, I think we've been able to work through this transition fairly well. Sorry. Right. You leaving wasn't like a, I'm going to go play for the other side now. It's like, no, 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 no. Uh, you know, I just, uh, I put a different logo on my jersey today because I thought it looked nice kind of kind of thing, right? It was it was less consequential uh, than I think a lot of people would probably take it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that Julie's or sister brother. Sister brother. Uh, no wonder I don't say that. Her uh, <laughs> Her perspective has been one with enough flexibility and her her testimony is something that's very like you say she's not the type of person who's showing up at church because someone told her to mm-hmm. um she has reasons personal reasons for why she shows up at church and 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 so because of that she understands that some people have personal reasons for why they don't show up at church mm-hmm. yeah and she's okay with that yeah, I like that. Um, so then, so now we've got to the point you've navigated telling your wife about your faith crisis. 
what was did you experience any kinds of stigma or or what's it like when you are abandoning your role as priesthood holder and your wife staying active well i mean i think for anyone whoever stays active has the harder <laughs> path ahead of them right for sure um, like I'd, I'd say like my wife left before i did and kind of yeah. it's almost like you get tacit approval from all the guys who are <laughs> doing church stuff because their wife's making them right it's like so your mm -hmm. wife doesn't wear garments and she doesn't make you go to the temple and you don't have to do family home evening and all this dumb crap my wife makes me do no i don't they're like cool i mean i mean <laughs> sorry sorry that must be hard yeah <laughs> what's yeah. it like when you're the priesthood holder the man the leader yeah what yeah did your wife um, face any kind of stigma like you know you can divorce him and marry a righteous guy kind of she's she's had a lot of people well i think it still came as a surprise to a lot of people right first of all um because of the way that i go about doing this and i i mean i'm willing to be fully transparent i don't know if the way i went about leaving the church was because i was just maybe i'm just scared and and didn't want to have the conversation with everybody and invite mm -hmm. everyone in about like this is or if it was just that my perspective on it like i said is i'm like i'm not there to try and make them question their whole lives and throw mud on their sacred mm -hmm. experiences. I'm like, whatever that that's your business. And that's not who I want to be. Um, but because of that, I think a lot of people were also very surprised. And so there were a number of people who've reached out to, to my wife and been like, wait, Jordan's not active or like this happened. Like what happened? Blah, blah, blah. blah. And, and she just, she's pretty good. You know, she just explains to them like, yeah, no, he just, you know, there's there's too many aspects of what's going on that he doesn't agree with and has decided not to go to church anymore. Um, but so, yeah, I'd say she gets a lot of she gets a lot of sympathy. Right. Is is more what it is. It's not not tacit approval or, or some of like, you know, those it's not. I, I feel like from your story, it's almost like a lot of people were like, oh, lucky Andrew. Like, it, it, doesn't yeah, have exactly. a wife. Like, that's what, exactly. Throat. Like, yeah, that's no, she gets like the your, opposite. Your wife leaves. Yeah. Yeah, no, she gets the opposite, where she gets a lot of sympathy from people about, like, oh, well, now there's not, like, a worthy priesthood member in the home, and, uh, like, you know, what's going to, how do you, how who's going to be a role model for those boys, and who's going to, Like, know, how they, does she cope with that? Because, like, I, I haven't spoken to your wife in years, but if I can imagine, she's very loyal and defensive to her friends, so I can only imagine <laughs> how she'd react, but what? how does she usually react? She, she just says, she's like, honestly, like, Jordan still like supports me and, and the boys and everything we want to do. And, you know, there's, there's obviously things that he's not willing to do and there's things that I'm not willing to do. And we just, you know, we compromise and we, we find ways to make it work. Um, and, and th there are, you know, there's definitely a lot of things where we, we compromise and that is mm -hmm. what it is. Um, the, the hardest thing probably for her is that, I'm now she has to be the motive force behind all mm -hmm. things that are church. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, 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 if she wants to put sacrament meeting on the laptop while we're eating breakfast Sunday morning, I'm certainly mm -hmm. not going to stop her. And mm -hmm. I'll be like, Hey boys, quiet down and listen. Like I'll try and help them try instead. You know, I, I am trying to help make it a, a thing for them, mm -hmm. but, but I'm certainly not the one putting it on. 
And so she always has to be the motive force behind those things. And I think that's, I mean, that's exhausting. Being the motive force all the time is hard. So mm-hmm. I, I, I give her kudos for that. That's, that's hard. But yeah. So she gets sympathy from people. Um, there's another, uh, there's another mother in the, in the ward who has a, a husband who's, who's very vocally, uh, not a member of the church, very, very vocally anti. And so I think a lot of people were worried that like, Oh, Jordan's gone the same way as this guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there was a lot of that, but I think I think most of the people within the ward know me well enough that nobody's really throwing a ton of shade on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've had, you know, members reach out and talk to me and, and I just tell them, I'm like, honestly, like this, 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 and this are non-starters for me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and, and, and it's like you said, it's, it's this, anti-testimony basically that you bear where it's like you can't argue with that you can't argue with when someone says like no i i firmly believe that this thing you're teaching is wrong Mm -hmm. and i feel it strongly in my core and i'm not going to tell you what you think but i bet you do too (laughs) (laughs) you know and 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 people just there's no there's no arguing about it i'm like yeah you can that's the thing i don't go down the history road most of the time because then people you know, there's always a church reason for why Joseph Smith did the crazy things he did. Yeah. Or there's church reasons for why this happened or that happened. I, I don't go down any of that. I just, I just say, no, it's, it's not about history. It's not about people offending me. It's not about any of that. It's about these practices that are taught. Hmm. And I think they're wrong. Or so more fundamentally, a... I'm like, it's because God doesn't talk to me. Right. <laughs> not in the way that you say he does. Yeah. Right. So... I I did ask a missionary because when they told me their testimony and their their conversion experience, I know this is true because it's brought me joy. And then I asked them, I said, is the inverse of that true? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, does this work forwards and backwards? You know that this is true because you found joy by doing what it says. If somebody does what it says and doesn't find joy, does that mean that it's now not true? And they're like, well, they didn't. And on it, like as a missionary, I wouldn't have known how to answer that question either. It well, I know the answer. The answer is they didn't do it right. That's that's the answer that's given. <laughs> right. Yes, and that's the answer I gave myself for years. Right? Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. I must not be doing something right because this yeah. causes me anxiety and stress, and I don't get the answers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but ultimately, the argument is is absolutely right. I, I think that's. I think there's a piece of truth in that. Is that, yeah, you should do what gives you joy, and if going to church every Sunday and singing hymns and you know, if that's, if that's what gives you joy and, and you think that you can do that without causing harm to others, mm-hmm. then Frick, go do that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to stand in your way, but you know, I, I heard somebody get bear that kind of testimony the other day that like, you know, they found peace through Christ. And, and I, I had, the, I had, I kind of smirked myself and a, a block fell into place in my mind as I realized like, Oh, I never had peace from right. the church. The, like the church brought me a lot of things. Peace is not really one of them most of the time. It was anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm on the right track then. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Did, I mean, like speak, speaking of anxiety from the church, like as I and and we've talked about this a lot off mic. Like when I came home from my mission, I was. a a weird guy full of anxiety as well 
And it was like, the more I was trying to do the church thing, the less capable I was at dealing with life. And part of that was the anxiety. Like, did you have any feelings of that? Like this anxiety starts becoming a stumbling block to you in your life. And it's like, I'm trying to devote my life to the church, but I seem to be getting worse at everything instead of better. Or like, how did you see the, the religiously induced anxiety kind of play out in your life? Well, for me, it was the cognitive dis- dissonance. It was that I, I felt, you know, one set of reality. Mm-hmm. I felt there were, there were things that were real and true and honest. And then I felt that there were, there was so much of the alternate reality being taught in the church and, and coming out of my mouth, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm teaching classes and stuff like that, where I'm like, it, it doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't add up. And then when you throw, when you throw responsibilities on top of that and you tell people like, Hey, we're going to spend all this time organizing this activity for these people. Um, you know, there's just so much time spent and money spent creating busy work uh, to create activities that nobody wants to go to. And, and <laughs> instead of, instead of funneling that into like helping people mm-hmm. in a meaningful way, um, you know, just the anxiety of like, I, actually, another one was was probably like when I'm thinking, I'm trying to go through the anxiety and anxious feelings that I had. Right, one mm-hmm. of them is absolutely like I had three young boys. Now I have four young boys, and you know when you show up at church with four young boys who are a little rambunctious, and you're like you fought to like just get them dressed and fed in the morning, you do all this stuff, and you get to church, and it's just this consistent three hours of like worrying about who's judging them for how they're dressed or not dressed or how they act or how they don't act or what they do and don't do. And, um, and, and so much of it is like, well, they're just not, it's not that they're doing anything wrong. It's that they're just not conforming to exactly what the church says that little boys should be. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I realize I'm like, Oh, that's for nothing. Like it's not, (laughs) it's not helping anyone. Mm-hmm. It's it's not improving anything. So there's a lot of that. I saw it in in my wife in terms of you know the callings that she held and a lot of the the conversations and judgment that she got from other members of the ward. I felt was really really hurtful. Um, you know there were I, this is like Julie's. This is her like third time serving in young women's, mm-hmm. and and the last time ended just in tears because she had a parent, you know. And, there was a set of circumstances where the the young women, you know, she's teaching whatever the second age group is of girls. My maids? Yes. Used to be my maids. maids. Yes, that's right. That's right, because it isn't anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she was teaching my maids, and they were supposed to prepare, like, a short lesson themselves, like each of the my maids, in order to give at, at, at church, right? Mm-hmm. And they followed up with this one girl, multiple times asked her if she needed help preparing a lesson after at the end of the day girl didn't prepare the lesson like many of us wouldn't have right mm-hmm. like i totally mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not throwing anything any shade on the girl here um but so she came to class and they're like okay well it's your turn to teach like what have you got mm-hmm. and and she's kind of like uh, i don't know i got nothing and then um 
so they kind of coached her through it and whatever it went by but she went home and got really i guess she you know cried to her mother about how you know she didn't know what to do and she was totally lost and so this mm-hmm. this woman called up my wife and just laid into her i was like how dare you put you know my daughter in this circumstance in this stressful situation you know she's only 14 she's on blah, blah, blah and i was like and just laid into her hard and it wasn't the first time mm-hmm. that that she's had calls like that and um and i was like you know that nobody needs that stress mm-hmm. not for a voluntary position where mm-hmm. she's trying to teach young girls a certain sense of responsibility i'm like mm-hmm. nah like like don't get me wrong i get the girl didn't want to prepare it or actually what's funny about it is like it's like she did but just never made it a priority and and that's what teenagers do mm-hmm. and like all of us, it's kind of a lesson you'd walk away from, right? And you'd be like, oh, well, maybe maybe next time I just say no at the beginning. Yeah. Or maybe I, maybe I learn how to say no. Maybe I learn how to, or maybe I learn that this is something I want to do. I have to put time into it if people mm-hmm. are offering or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. But there are too many experiences where, like that. Um, mm-hmm. Just unnecessary for... stress. Yeah, it's yeah. just unnecessary stress. Yeah. That I didn't need. Yeah. So, so yeah, all of that kind of kind of came to came to a head, and we had that conversation, like I say, probably three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I mean, COVID hit after that, which I mean, I, I had told her like, yeah, I'll help go to church and stuff like that, and then COVID hit, and it was like, well, don't need to do that anymore. That <laughs> 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 made it made it easy. So. Yeah, so we're working through it. I think the the hardest thing that I've dealt with since that conversation was was my my oldest son turned eight and wanted to get baptized, mm-hmm. and uh, and I had been trying to figure this out for a few years leading up to this. Like, how do I deal with this? What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And um, and I had multiple conversations with him, and and he followed up with me multiple times after he turned eight, where he'd say, "Hey, when am I going to get baptized?" Mm-hmm. And he he did this like every few months for like mm-hmm. eight months and uh and i stop and i explain i'm like well i don't really you know here's i, I don't know if i fully agree with this and and there's things that i have problems with and i don't want to to necessarily go through and we kind of initiate that conversation but with an eight-year-old like you're only gonna go through so much right so i was i was talking with a friend of mine um and uh Actually, I talked to with a few friends about it, and then eventually I was talking to a therapist about it, and he said, you know, here's here, here's my two cents. He said, if your eight-year-old son is not going to remember the philosophical arguments for why you're opposed to the church, he's not going to, he's not going to remember that when he grows up, that you had these, you know, these issues with with the doctrines of the of the church and and he's not equipped he's not mature enough to understand most of the issues that you have um what he is going to remember is that you chose not to participate in a day that was special to him Hmm. and and i was like that's okay that's fair that's fair he's like honestly when he grows up as he grows up you can have the more mature discussions with him as he grows up but like he's like he's like baptism he's like it's like bar mitzvah it's like anything it's just a, a, a an event in his life that's about him it's a chance to celebrate him and mm-hmm. if you decide not to be a part of that because of your you know your theological problems with the church he's like 
ultimately he's not going to remember that. All he's going to remember is that it, you weren't willing to be part of his day. Mm-hmm. As he grows up, you can have the more mature conversations with him. And chances are, by the time he's 16, if you're having these conversations with him, he's probably not going to stay in the church. Like he's, he's probably, but at least he'll make his own decisions as he grows up. But right now, like just support him. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a good piece of advice. So, so I went through with, you know, he was baptized and we, we went through all that and, uh, we'll see as he, as he grows up, how that conversation continues to evolve. Hmm. I, th- I think the grass cuts itself. If it, <laughs> right. Is that yeah. if you don't have high expectations from your parents to keep doing all this dumb crap, then you just won't do it. Mm-hmm. Like I think about all the stupid things I did to make my parents happy or all the things I lied about doing to make my parents happy. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and if it hadn't been there, I just would have been like, this is, this sucks. <laughs> like I'm not doing it. Yeah. But, uh, can I say, like my son, he is five the last day I went to church and it was, I got strong armed into a tithing settlement and I had not been paying tithing. And I told the bishop I hadn't. And he said, why? And I started bawling. And like you were saying, like your son's not going to remember the things you said. My son has no idea what we talked about. All he knows is that that is like the only time he has seen his dad cry and it was at church. And so now he thinks that church is the weirdest place <laughs> in the world. Cause that's all he knows is he's like, I mean, he's not far from the truth, but yeah, he's like, my dad went there and bawled his eyes out like a baby in front of some other old guy. And that's what people do at church. <laughs> yeah. Cause we've had, cause his grandparents are active and they still live here. And sometimes we're like, Hey, wouldn't it be great if you went for a sleepover at grandma and grandpa's house and went to church the next morning? Me and your mom think that would be really great. He's like, no, church is weird. I'm like, what's your problem with church? And he's like, I don't know. You just like cry when you go there. It's really weird. (laughs) (laughs) So just confirmation that, yeah, your son won't remember the words that were said. He'll just remember what you did. Yeah. That's (laughs) yeah. And then from there, it's just the responsibilities on me to be extremely transparent and honest with him as he grows mm-hmm. up because mm-hmm. the real disservice would be as he grows up if i keep leading him down the primrose path right um i think that would be the disservice right if if he's a 14 year old and and he's masturbating and i'm like you are evil you're going to hell you're going blind <laughs> like then then you know or if i'm sitting there like well did you talk to your bishop about that um <laughs> you know like like I just I need to be honest with the kid, and as mm-hmm. he grows up, and and you know, you have these more mature conversations with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but have you fine. have you and your wife talked about navigating those conversations when they come up, or is it just kind of because you guys are on the same page, you kind of know what she's going to say, and she knows what you're going to say? Or are you guys going to take it as it comes? Or no, I mean, a, a lot of it is there's actually not as many conflicts as you'd think. Cause um, I mean, when it comes to law of chastity, both of us, we pretty much agree on most of how that should go. Right. Like Ju- she's, she's not either going to be the one who's like, you know, you're evil for masturbating. How dare you? Right. Go talk or, to your Bishop. Maybe um, be more like dad, should I go on a mission? Or right. like dad, why don't you believe in God? Kind of, you know, the theological dismantling kind of conversations. 
No, she's fine. She like she understands that I'm going to be honest with my son. Yeah, yeah. And she she would expect nothing less. Yeah, and so because I, I don't... she knows she knows where you're at already, so she knows what you're going to tell him when and if he asks you whatever question. And vice versa, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I expect that she will be honest with him mm-hmm. about about what she feels, and 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 who knows where she'll be in in five or ten years? Who knows? Like that might evolve yeah. too, right? Maybe yeah. maybe my opinions will evolve. Who knows? Um, yeah. But we both, like I say, I think one of the foundational parts of our marriage has been like, no, you communicate mm-hmm. and you be honest with each other. It's we've always said like, it's important to be tactful. You should be as kind as you can with others. But it's more important that you are honest and tactful. Hmm. I like and, that. And I think we both understand that. Yeah. And I think that's how we'll, we'll navigate it with our children. When, you know, if he wants to have, go on a mission, I'll be like, well, do you want to go on a mission? Mm-hmm. This is, and the, the, I suppose the bonus is I can be like, this is what a mission is. Or this is what my mission was. Mm-hmm. I can tell you this is exactly what I did. And this is what it was like. And probably somewhat similar you should expect that it's going to be like that is that something you want are there other things that you'd rather do and, and we can have that discussion if, yeah. if my son wants to go on a mission like i said i'm not going to stop him um all the more power to him go for it hmm. and he might learn a thing yeah yeah uh, yeah i'm wondering you said you're still spiritual so to kind of round it out where are you at now with uh, with what's in the black room? What do you think is out there? Do you think anything's out there? Like, what's your spirituality now? Yeah, I, I mean, it's harder. I think one of the benefits, like one of the reasons that a lot of people, that religions became so popular and catch on so easily is because you take a really complex indefinable you know concept and then turn it into a person and you're like oh this person is god and then it's easy for people to conceptualize and deal with right um so for me it's like we'll take away all of that because i guess as far as i'm concerned i'm like well i don't think that there's i don't think that there's a life after this death i don't think that we after death we don't you don't go somewhere else and look down on what everybody else does I i don't think that there's a conscious you know god and his son and, and other people who are, who are doing i don't i don't believe in like most of those intangibles anything that's like that the heaven and hell all that all that peace the existence of the soul um those are all things i'm like well i just i, I don't think they exist and until i have reason to think they exist I, that that opinion is not going to change hmm. right so if i walk into a black room and somebody tells me oh there's a sphere in here and i go feeling around i'm like there's no sphere Mm-hmm. Then I'm not going to pretend there's a sphere, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and so in terms of things that I have come to positively, um, existence of the soul. I mean, we're, we're going to get a little theological here. I give you fair warning. Um, my perspective on it right now is this. I'm like, look, uh, you have a story. If you read a book, for instance, right? There's a story that's contained in this book. The printed words on the page are not the story, hmm. right? The the paragraphs, the ink, the pages, the paper, none of that is what makes 
the story. The story, it exists, but it's intangible. You can't touch it, hmm. right? And it's not like that story exists in some heaven or some hell. Uh, it's not like it, it, it's just, it's a, it's an intangible thing. Um, and in much the same way, that's, that's how I view the soul today. Cause I'm like, you know, you have programmed within you. I mean, we're, we, we deal with computers so much now it's impossible not to draw the metaphor. Right. But it's, you have within you a whole set of, of neurons and pieces that create a certain set of memories and this whole conscious experience that you experience every day um there is a there is a soul to you there is a psychological reality that you couldn't say it isn't it isn't that you are your neurons or you are your you know all these things there, there is something there but it's it's the story it's the narrative of who you are it's it doesn't exist the way that other tangible pieces exist and i don't think that it is you know, going to consciously exist after you die. Hmm. But there, but there is something there, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of an interesting, that's my, my perspective on the, on the, the psychological, you know, the, what is cognition? What is um, the soul and who you are beyond the physical is just this pattern that, uh, that people know about. So, uh, in in that in that way, I think I guess it's kind of like Plato's forms that way. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a a form of the thing exists in in some ways. Hmm. Um, that's probably the most spiritual, hippie kind of <laughs> thing that that I do believe in, and and I don't know how to how to. I, it doesn't have necessarily any major consequences in terms of like how I choose to live my life. I suppose right. maybe. Right. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but that that would be a part of it. And I, I think the other most out there. I'm trying to pick the most out there things, right? Where I'm like, this is probably spiritual mm-hmm. uh, type stuff. I think the other one that I do I do believe to in a certain extent is a there's a certain amount of karmic justice to the universe. I I, I think there's there's a certain amount of balance um, that does exist and and that that still governs most of the the physical world is, is a certain sense of balance. And um, I don't think it's like a, 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 a propositional thing where it's like, well, if, if I do this, I get this. It's not like if I obey this commandment, I get something in return or, or something like that. But, but I do, I do find that if you're kind to people, people tend to be kind to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know if you call that a law, but it's reality. Hmm. So I do, I do think there's a certain sense of balance and karmic justice to the universe. Um, there's somebody I, I, I would quote, he says that, you know, nobody gets away with anything. There's always a, there's always a price to be paid. Hmm. Um, you can't lie without there being consequences, even if those consequences are just how you divide your own self and the cognitive dissonance that follows. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, there is no getting away with things. And, uh, and, and I do believe that. I think that's true. Yeah. I like that. I think that's, that's good. Mm-hmm. You have so the re- Elder like Jackson the... stamp of approval on your, uh, yeah, spirituality. As well, Congratulations. As well as the bishop. 
Zorg Thanks, Elder. Hmm? So it's like the the soul. Sorry, you just got me lost in my own thoughts now. No, it's of fair. kind of the wonder of the human mind, where you have these neurons and synapses and electrochemical just reactions happening in your brain, and that's how thoughts appear. And that's apparently, really, like, but that, and that all of a sudden, this supercomputer inside our head has created this identity and these behaviors and kind of just the wonder and the mystery of these thoughts that I have that I think are independent. Are they me or are they an organ? And it, it's not like those are questions that need to have answers. It's just kind of like oh. getting lost in wonder and mystery. Yeah. And that like the, like you were saying where we've got this sense of wonder and mystery and then we make a person and call it God and he embodies the wonder and mystery. Right. And so you can still have that sense of wonder and mystery. You've just dismantled the, the rules, right. <laughs> that make you do things you don't understand. It's like, I can yeah. still be amazed at my own brain being what it is. How is it any different? How are my thoughts any different from a heartbeat? Is it just, uh, am I really consciously in control or is this organ just firing and working the same as my spleen? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and the, I guess, you know, and, and within the church, they would probably say that the problem with that is that it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, they'd say, well, whether, whether it does or it doesn't, does that change your behavior on a day-to-day -day basis? Does that, well, we know that we are agents to ourselves <laughs> brother lehigh and that you must have cognitive cognitive control over all your thoughts and all things and at all times yeah because yeah. we are not chains with the burning in hell and we're free to choose liberty and eternal life according to the flesh and i, I the way i came to that conclusion about the narrative and the soul yeah. is that i started i was like well you have memories mm-hmm Right. And a lot of people would equate who you are, your identity with, with what you remember, quite frankly, mm -hmm. if you, if you take a person and, and remove all their memories, uh, you'd be really hard put to argue that they're still that person, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but the reason I made the step to the narrative is that I think that I think you can take certain memories away and that kind of thing. And, and I actually do believe that over time, your perspective on your memories changes, mm -hmm. you know, especially, I mean, obvious example, you know, anyone who's left the church and you look back at your memories of being in the church, mm -hmm. you're probably going to see things from a very different perspective. And those memories are going to, they're going to be different. Mm -hmm. You've changed who you are, but the only way that you do that is because you've changed how those memories are all meshed together. There's, there's something that holds them together. There's something that there's a, a viewpoint that you use to understand yourself and understand your memories. And that, that thing is the narrative. Mm -hmm. It's the, the story that you tell using the memories. And, and that's why I think that's what the soul is. The soul is this narrative, the story that you, that you've created or that your, your mind has created in order to make sense of 
your memories and your experiences. And who you are today is probably most best demonstrated by by looking at that narrative, at that story. Yeah. Yeah, the story you tell about your past. Says and about, about where you're headed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that. So, well, wow. so yeah, I, I, I think that my, my striving to understand things that way and, and my continued spiritual research um, mm-hmm. has probably helped me let go of, of the church without quite so much resent mm-hmm. and just kind of move past it. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. You've definitely turned this into the, uh, the least blasphemous episode we've ever, <laughs> we've ever done. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations. I, don't get me wrong. I appreciate the, uh, I, <laughs> I appreciate a healthy amount of, of blasphemy. I'm all for it. But I, yeah, and I, I think we'll talk about this again. But um, I, I think, you know, coming to these perspectives where we say, you know what, I'm happy if somebody finds something else that's ha- making them happy, that's bringing them peace. Um, good for them uh and and being able to move on uh from that and just let ourselves be happy and let other people be happy too yeah and help them yeah yeah well anybody have any uh cherries to add on top of that no i've got nothing I have a tendency to talk too much as it is, so I'll, uh, I'll shut up. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining okay. us. Thank you, Brother Lehi. And uh, I guess I guess we'll chat with you when we chat with you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 Thanks, guys.